Church at this time. I've been having an enjoyable year when it comes to putting these things together and talking this year. It seems like there's something, I don't know, something that the Lord's doing amongst all of us. Um, last week we started talking about faith, but then it really connects back. You know, the first month of January we spent uh, talking specifically about how we have been made new. But what have we been made new for? And that's faith. Then we talked in February about uh, power and what real power is. Uh, authority and capacity and energy and integrity, all of those things. But what, what is the point of power? What is it for? Why is it given to us? It is given to us for faith. And so we began looking at faith last week, and I introduced some new, th- I don't know if it's new, just different ways of looking at it perhaps, and especially defining faith as three distinct things. Now, we talked, we tore down the notion that I used to have, which, which was that faith was belief in action. We, we'll talk about that again. But really, we talked about how it has indicators, right? Belief is an indicator of faith. Trust is an indicator of faith. Obedience, they're indicators. But just like a, just like a, a sneeze and a cough are indicators that you have a cold, they aren't the cold itself. And so we are looking at what is this thing called faith? Not necessarily what does it look like, but what, what is it? And so we, we kind of defined it this way, these three things, that faith is the alignment of purpose, it is the reliance found in exchange, and it is the merging found in covenant. And the three key words there are the alignment, the reliance, and the melding. And what we find is that it's not one of these things, it is the, it is the convergence of these three. It isn't faith without them, that this is faith and what it looks like in us. It's what it's doing in us. So we're going to dig deeper into each one of these three for the next three weeks. This week being, we're going to look at the topic of alignment. Now, I spent a lot of time introducing this concept and basically using a lot of examples to try to explain why we're defining faith this way. Now what we're doing is each week we're going to actually go Scripture. Because, I, I, you know me, I don't, I, don't like, I don't like making claims without going to the Scripture. So that's what we're doing these next three weeks. Going in there and we're going to be examining what do the Scriptures say about this thing called faith. And does it demonstrate faith the way that I have laid it out here? And so this week we're talking about alignment. Alignment means to line up. To set straight, to even out, or to uh, put in sync. All of that is what alignment means. Alignment means the bringing together and the harmonizing of two different things. Really, uh, for most of us, the greatest example, there are a couple of good examples. One of them is being in a car. My wife loves curbs. She loves them. There's not a curb she hasn't met. She's met them all a couple of times. When you meet a curb, it knocks your tire out of alignment. What does that mean? It means that all the tires are pointing together, they're rolling together, they're moving in sync, they're pointing in the same direction, right? Straight, in sync, all of that that we talk about alignment. Well, when you hit a curb, it knocks one just off a little bit, which means as it rolls, it's wobbling, which creates a very, uh, depending on how bad it is or how fast you're going, a very unpleasant 
riding experience. I know when Jenny has met a curb because I will get into the car, and as I accelerate, uh, the car decides to start bucking me. And we're fighting, and the faster we go, the more it goes like this. I, okay, I've hit curbs too. I'm just picking on her. It's not fair. It's out of alignment, and it makes the journey rough. It makes it rough. Guys, our Christianity, this thing called faith, it is the, it's, it's the alignment. It, it's, not a perf- it's not a perfect alignment or we wouldn't be growing in our faith. But it is, it is about aligning, coming alongside. We're going we're gonna to look at that a little specifically um, in detail. Uh, another example would be an, uh, an army marching in procession. I'm amazed at how they are in sync and keep a straight line. I mean, they move together. It, it's, it's incredible. But what would, it, what would it look like? What would happen if just one of those soldiers did not step in sync, stepped out of line, did not go the same direction? It will mess up the rest of the procession. It would, it would just mess it up. Or consider for a moment, and I'm not that musically inclined, but consider for a moment an orchestra. Um, you, could, you could sit in, in an orchestra when everything is playing the same note at the same time. We use a word right? Um, uh, uh, it, it's melodious. And, and when they're playing different things that work together, it's harmony. The differences actually make it beautiful as long as everything is heading in the same direction in the same time, and it's in sync, and it's gorgeous, unless you get invited to a middle school band concert. And that is the worst thing in the world. I love my kids Bella, I loved going and seeing her, but I didn't like other people's kids. I didn't. You'd sit there, and, you, and, and it'd be going, and you would hear. And it doesn't matter, 30 kids all in sync, one kid who can't keep time, and the whole thing is messed up. It doesn't work. Harmony's not the word. Discord is the word that we use. Disharmony. It's disruptive. It's jarring. It is unpleasant. It is, see, when they play, they are, well, we'll get to this next week, about relying. They're relying on each other. Or as we talked about, one of the best examples, one of the closest examples that mankind has, has attempted to reach this concept of faith is in marriage. And it's... Really, when you talk to someone who isn't a Christian, trying to, trying to explain what faith is, a marriage is, is the best example. As we mentioned last week, um, marriage is where you come together and you are aligning. I mean, really, isn't that what it is? A man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife. You will leave the path that your parents were on. You will join a different path, and you will engage in that path together, forever altering your direction, what you're doing. You are going to become something different. You're going to think differently. In that marriage, we talked about last week specifically how marriage being the best example of faith, I know we consider it love, right? right? Marriage is, this, is, a, is an institute of love, but it, it, really, it really is more of an institute of faith. Because when someone breaks their vows, when someone does not maintain the vows to which they they pledged, we don't call them unloving. We don't say they broke the love of the marriage. We say they were unfaithful. They broke the faith. And so at the very core, marriage is the closest thing 
outside of a relationship with God that we come to understanding faith. And yet, what a shock, one out of every two fails. Because we just, without God, we cannot truly know what faith really is. Look, faith requires things coming together in alignment of purpose. I couldn't find a better word than things. I'm sorry. what What a useless word. But when two things come together and begin to align in purpose, you have faith. A one-wheeled vehicle cannot function in harmony. The wheel just does what it wants. Only when you have two wheels do you have to be in sync and be aligned. A one-person orchestra cannot be harmonious, can it? It cannot do harmony. Harmony by necessity requires at least So then we get and we realize um, uh, God in the Trinity. So we talked last week about how in the very beginning, faith, hope, and love existed before anything in creation as attributes of who God is in himself. And we know that because Paul says after everything is done, after creation is all over, after all the spiritual gifts are gone, when we are there in God's presence, these three remain faith, hope, and love. They remain. They are eternal because they are attributes of an eternal God. And so we look to God to understand what faith, hope, and love is. And we talked about in the creation that God created us to have faith with him, but he also looked at man and said it is not good for man to be alone. And he created woman so that they would be able to have faith in each other. So God in the three, the Father, does the Father have full faith in the Son? Absolutely. Does the Son have full faith in the Father? Yes, He does. They have absolute faith. All of the aspects of what we're talking about are there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are aligned. You will find no disagreement amongst them. You will find one purpose, one mind, one focus, one goal. That's it. And then all of a sudden you start reading the passages, right, where, where uh, the scriptures say that we need to be of one mind, one purpose, one thought. Why? Because that is faith. We align. We come together. That is the nature of it. So what we're going to do is I want to do this. I, we could talk about all the ways, you know, marriage and, and contracts and governments and all the ways that we as human beings have tried to uh, find faith without God and failed miserably. But I don't want to do that because the reality is you know it and I know it. The scriptures are going to attest to it. Faith is only found. It only originates. It only exists in God. And the only way to actually have it is to come to him. Just as true love can only be received when you come to God. Because what does it say? We love because he first loved us. We were only able to actually touch what real love was because he touched us. 
That's the only way. Same thing with faith. You will never find it outside of him. So I'm going to ask you to turn to uh, Romans chapter 12 in your Bibles. I want you to open that up. Keep it on your lap or on your phone, whatever it is. Keep it in front of you because I'm going to refer back to it. But we're going to be going on to hit other scriptures, but I'm going to refer back to it. So what would be best is if you have it in your lap in case you need to go back to it, and then we've got the other scriptures that are on the screen. But Romans chapter 12 is a chapter. This section is a section of faith. Here's what he says, verse 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This passage is on faith. The entire nature of faith is found right there. So this morning, whether you've been a Christian for a long time, the goal is for us to increase in faith, to grow. Actually, only God can increase it. We're going to get to that in a minute. But you can mature in it. Paul talks about those who are immature in the faith and those who are mature in the faith. Our goal is to mature, to grow, to be better. So how do we do that? If you aren't a Christian, how do you do that? If you're at the beginning walk, how do you do this? What is this? So the first thing is this, is I want you to understand that God initiates faith in us. It's critical. We're going to look at some scriptures here in just a second, but you've got to realize that God is the one who has has assigned the faith that is in us. He has placed it in us. He put it there. It does not originate from us. Where does it come from before time? Him. He is the author and the originator of faith. So faith, if it is real, has to come out of him and not out of us. Yes, we try to be faithful as people. But faith, real faith, true faith, the faith that saves comes from him. As Paul says there in Romans 12, let us each live according to the allotment of faith that has been placed within us. 
Now, it's interesting because he connects that allotment, and you're going to see this. Remember how we talked about the other things? We've got alignment, we've got reliance and exchange, and we've got the melding and covenant. You, you, you start pl- placing all three of these things that are faith, and you put it into this passage. Oh, my goodness, it starts, it starts really making sense because all of a sudden, I mean, he's talking about faith uh, as something received from God, but then it's also the gifts that we, are ex- that we express. So it's, it's amazing how all-consuming this concept of faith is, so much more than just belief. We're going to get to that too. You believe, if you believe this morning, not because you came to know or you came to understand, that you, you in the midst of the darkness searched out to the eternal truth and found God. That is not how it works. It was you and I running around in the mire in the dark, saw a light and a voice that called out to us. If God did not reach out to us, we would have zero of being any more than animals. Unable of even comprehending or beginning to understand what we were created for unless he reveals it. In Romans 10, 13 to 17, Paul says this. He, he quotes, a, he quotes a, a, a common saying at the time. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's referring to a statement that people say all the time, that they were saying at the time. And here's his response. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So how can they call on someone if if they don't even believe in him? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? So how are they supposed to believe in something that they've never been told existed? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So a word has to come to them. A word has to be sent out. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You and I are only here because Christ loved us enough to leave heaven and reveal himself, reveal the Father to us so that we could believe. Even if you were raised in the church, there was a moment when he reached out to you. It was no longer your mother and father speaking, but he reached into your heart and there was a conviction by the Spirit. No, faith comes from Him and is placed within us. We cannot know anything that He does not reveal to us. Faith only begins when He does so. So in John 6, 44, Jesus says it this way, powerfully. No one. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then I will raise him up on the last day. 
You take this, you put it in with some of Paul's other, other writings, that there is no one righteous, no, not one. Why? Because no one can come to the Father, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Now, before we leave it there and decide that, well, then we have no part in this. It's just God picking and choosing who he wants and all of this. Jesus in his words is very clear. The Father draws, but then what is required? That we come. No one can come. That's our action, unless they were drawn. So the Father draws us. Faith originally, he places it within us. He makes it possible for you to see, for you to understand. He makes it possible for you to believe. But it is now the question of what are you going to do with it. And that leads us to the second thing, which is this, is that we offer ourselves. God initiates the faith within us. And then we, in turn, offer ourselves up to him. Going back to Romans 12, where we began. The whole point of that passage begins with what? Offer yourselves. Give yourselves over. Be pure sacrifices. This is your spiritual worship. Give yourself over to him. He has placed this faith in you. Now come to him. That which you could not do on your own, now because of the faith that is placed within you, you can now do. It's so backwards from what I understood it to be. I always thought I needed to believe more, and that would increase my faith, and it's wrong. I need greater faith in order to believe. And Hebrews even talks about that, and how did I miss this? Over and over, he uses this phrase. By faith, they believed. What's the order of that? How did they believe? How did they come to believe? By faith. So faith isn't belief. Belief comes out of faith. Faith comes first. Well, this is getting weird now, right? You're going, what? It's because faith isn't belief. It is the alignment the reliance and the merging, that's what it is. Let me give you, an, uh, uh, let's go a little further into this. So John 6, 4 says that we come to the Father because he draws us, but what he does is he, the faith, he initiates it, he places, he places this in us, and it empowers us. It, makes us, it makes it possible for us to come to him. And so now we are able to come to him. The Romans 12 talks about offering ourselves. God reveals himself and invites us to join him, to align with him, to follow him. So Matthew 9, 9, look at this. I, just a, such, it's, it's, it's such a simple passage. So bizarre. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Think, of, think about that interaction for just a moment. I, 
just honestly, not as a Christian, just, just, on, just, just, just as a person reading that. Can you picture in your mind being at work and someone passing by and say, saying, hey, come with me. And you just drop everything and you don't worry about the check. You don't worry about taking care of your family. You just, you just walk. In what world does any of us do that? Jesus didn't give Matthew anything to believe in. Look at that. Does he? He doesn't come up and say, Matthew, I'm the son of God. Come follow me. He doesn't come up and say, I'm the Messiah. Come follow me. Jesus gives him nothing to believe. What he does is he initiates call, a call to faith. He looks at Matthew and says, follow me. What, what proper doctrine, what proper beliefs does Matthew have at this moment? What does he know about who Jesus is? He knows nothing. What's faith? Christ called out to him, to follow. And what did Matthew do? He got up. And in aligning himself, in coming alongside of Jesus, it is in that relationship that he comes to realize who Jesus is. It is by the faith that he has that God gave him that his belief comes to grow. The longer he's with Christ, the more he realizes who this Jesus is. The more he sees the miracles, he hears the teaching, and he believes. His belief grows, but the belief grew first out of faith, not the other way around. God is not asking you to, to believe more. He's asking you to come alongside of him. That's it. This is the beginning of faith. And that's why his first interactions with people is, follow me. Come with me. Come check this out. And they get up and do it. See, and this is why we start mi misunderstanding. We think it's belief and we think it's trust and we think it's all. No, it isn't. It isn't. It's alignment. Here's Jesus saying, come with me. And they said, okay. And they begin a process of the reliance and the merging comes with it. We'll get to that, but it really just starts with this we're just going to come together. They don't even know what to believe. He just follows them. So we offer ourselves. I'm telling you right now, I've been a Christian for over 30 years now. I hate that. Not that I've been a Christian 30 years, that I can say it's been 30 years. I know more now than I did then. Am I more faithful now because I understand things better? I'm not, actually. I'm not. It was that faith and the coming alongside of Jesus that has allowed me to grow in my belief. It has allowed me to grow in my understanding. The key is the alignment, guys. It's the alignment. In James 4, 7 to 8, 
he says it this way. James says it this way. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he draws near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And that, you know what? That used to sound so harsh to me until I put it in this context. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's different. God has called you. He has called you to follow him. And Matthew follows him. So let's take Matthew's example. Matthew follows him, and he begins to hear the teachings of Jesus, and he begins to see the miracles. He begins to see the power. He begins to see these amazing things happen. But here James says, when you draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you. But you need part of this alignment. Part of it is, is getting rid of the double-mindedness. What is double-mindedness? It's, it's, trying, it's, it's trying to live both in the world and for God. It's trying to live in the flesh and live in the spirit. You, you can't do it. It's one or the other. And so he says you, you've got to get rid of the double mind. You've got to clear it out. And that leads us to the third point is this, is that we allow God to rewrite our thought process. Hopefully you still have your Bible open over to that uh, uh, Romans chapter 12. What did he say? We offer ourselves to God to renew our minds so that in the renewal of our minds, we are able further to know and to test, to understand what the will of God is. The most miserable person in the church. I'm not saying it's you, and I'm not even assessing anybody. I'm just saying the most miserable existence in the church is the person who has decided that they want to walk along with Jesus, and yet internally they keep fighting everything that he's saying. And I would imagine if I asked you to close your eyes, there is someone that would come up into your mind from your past, from when you were a kid or whatever, of someone that you saw who was a Christian who was absolutely miserable. And they're miserable for one reason, is because they're walking with Jesus, but they're the tire out of alignment. They don't, they're, they're trying to live, and they're trying to go a different direction from him, but they're tethered to him. And it's a miserable fight. Their entire Christianity is, is just this lurching, disgusting, slow existence. Miserable unaffected. No, so what he tells us is that we need the renewal of our mind. That's what this alignment is about. So that we get to the point where, and, and I, I'm, I, the longer I'm alive, the more the, the, this happens. The more aligned we are, the more we understand why God tells us to do what we do. See, when I was a kid, I was told, mom and dad told me, I read the Bible, it told me, it told me what to do, and, I, and, then, and part of me didn't like it. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I still had the flesh within me that was telling me to act one way, but I've got, I've got the spirit in me telling me to act a different way now. And so you live this kind of jumping back and forth between the two, and it's, it's, this, it's this, miserable, this miserable existence. But the, the change happens. The more I am exposed to God, the more I read about God, the more I understand him. I begin to understand why he told me to live this way. And then all of a sudden it doesn't become as hard, does it? It's just like that little kid, you know, they, you look at him and you say, don't touch the stove, it's hot. 
first thing a kid wants to do then? Touch the stove. I, got, I, got a, I, have, a, I have a bad opinion about this. My opinion was I didn't slap their hand if they went to touch the hot stove the first time. The stove's going to teach them the lesson. Let them learn. They touch it. They realize, I, I don't. I, this. Once the child has burned their hand once, the child doesn't say, I wonder if I should touch that again. Because they've come to understand why mom and dad said not to touch it. When we as Christians come to understand why God has called me to be faithful in my marriage, why God has called me to be generous with my money, when he's called me to be uh, a, a servant with my time, when I understand why. See, then it stops being a fight and it becomes a joy. Then you start seeing the fruits of the Spirit start just blowing up outside of us. The joy, the peace, the patience, all of that stuff, it just starts exuding out of us because we are not fighting God. We are in harmony with him. We allow him to change. Guys, we... Faith is so much not about what you're doing. You, you can open up that Bible. You can memorize every word of it. You can have it imprinted on your heart and on your mind. The, the Jews did that. They had that. The Pharisees had that. They had it all together. They had it, they had it so down. They didn't even have to consult the books. It was memorized, and they could, they could throw it off at Jesus. They could throw it off at anybody. I mean, in their minds, they were doing everything exactly right. That isn't, that isn't the point. Throughout the Old Testament, what did God say of his people? They praised me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. It's, it's not doing the right thing. It's about coming alongside and allowing him to, to transform the way we think. Do I obey when I don't understand? You betcha. That's a that's a part of the commitment I made when I came to Christ. I, I don't have to understand everything. It just becomes a lot easier when I understand it. So in Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, he says this, Now I say this and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
The dark path begins with a mind that is not in sync with God and it is not interested in coming alongside of him. The righteous mind is the one that is open to allowing God to work in it. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Again, it's not what we do. It's what he's doing. So he goes back to that, you heard. You heard this word. Now you have to be transformed. You have to let God change your thinking, and it's, it's, it's the changing of this thinking, this alignment of mind and purpose, this, 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 this coming together to where we see things the way God sees them, that the more we do that, the more we are putting on the new self, which is made in righteousness, which is like him. We become more like him, the more aligned with him we become. You know, it's so funny. We, then we start going We start going to the old passages of the Old Testament. You know, we were talking about how alignment means to make straight, to level. It's funny. God always promised. He kept saying, he kept saying, I'm going to come, and I'm going to, I'm going to level the mountains before you. I'm going to raise the valleys and level the mountains. I'm going to make everything flat for you and lay it straight. I'm going to take the crooked paths, and I'm going to straighten. The whole of this message, the whole of Christianity is about God inviting us to come back and be in sync with him. How do we allow him to transform our minds? Listen, this is why every pastor says this. You need to be reading your scriptures, not just here, not just in Sunday. You need to be reading it on your own. You need to, but not just that. You need to be in prayer. So those are the two things you normally hear. You need to be praying to God. You need to be interacting with him. That is how you are lining up with him. You're allowing him to speak to you. You are speaking to him. You cannot align with someone you do not communicate with. It doesn't work. Try that in a marriage. Don't talk to your spouse. See if things get better. It won't. We read, we pray, and we meditate. And that's the one that we don't, I don't, we, it just doesn't get mentioned enough. You, you, we've got to meditate. That, that, that's where we, we uh, the Psalms are filled with it. Lord, Lord, write it upon my hearts and in my mind. I, I, want to, I want to think about it. I want to dwell on it. I want, to, I want to live in your word. I want to live and I want to know you. That's why Paul says, he says, he says I, I want to know Christ. Christ, that, that, that's all he wants. So Jesus says, if you, if you, if you, well, the Old Testament says, uh, God says, if you seek me, you will find me when you, uh, when you seek me with all your heart. And Jesus says, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. It's, God has laid a faith inside of you that calls to relationship, to community with him. And it's not about doing enough, believing enough. It's just about deciding this moment, every moment, that you are going to. It's such a simple thing. You're just going to follow. That's it. Following him, keeping in step with him, walking with him, you will come to believe more. The more you expose yourself to him, you will find that it is through faith you come to believe and do amazing things. But it isn't just the alignment, because that's just head, right? That's just head. 
thinking like Jesus. That that's not that's not all. It's it's all of it together. And we're going to get to the other three things, uh, which it's going to be fun. And we're going to get to the other 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 three other two things um, in the next two weeks, and we're going to be adding to it because it, it isn't just an intellectual faith. Is not just an intellectual interaction with God. It's a whole interaction. It's a it's awesome. I want to. I want to. God, this morning, whether you've been a Christian for thirty years, you haven't ever walked. You, you've walked and haven't been in step. Why? The invitation to the Christian and to the non. Each morning is the same. Each moment is the same. He looks at us, and he says two very simple words to us. Follow me. Follow me. And right now, I'm going to tell you, he's not asking you to even believe the right things. or to, He'll show you the right things. He just says, come with me. Come and see what I have. I encourage you this morning, align yourself with me. And see that grow and increase we can pray with you or do anything to help you out. Just come forward. Let, let us pray with you. I mean, we get so frightened by coming forward. People look at us like, but why? We're not, here to be in, we're not here to be in step with the opinions of others. We're here to be in step with the Spirit. And if he's calling you to respond, do that this morning. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation together. <laughs>